Take your Bibles if you have them. If you if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we do have copies of God's Word on the back table. I think there's one or two left. Um, feel free to grab one of those if you don't have one. Um, we're going to be in, in the Gospel of John. We've been focusing our attention in John's Gospel for, for several weeks now. Um, and we've been talking about the I am statements that Jesus makes. But because of the nature of this morning, because of Tom Sunday, we're going to step away from that. But uniquely enough, the passage that we talked about last week, um, falls smack dab, uh, or is right before the, the passage that, that we are going to uh, look at today, which is the triumphal entry, which is Jesus riding into Jerusalem um, and the people shouting, Hosanna, since it's Palm Sunday. So uh, I didn't orchestrate that, the Holy Spirit orchestrated that, which is, which is cool. I, I hope that you see that that's, that's pretty neat. But we're going to be looking at John, last week we looked at John chapter 11, 1 through 45, and then um, we're going to be looking at John chapter 12, 12 through 19. Um, we won't look exactly, but we won't uh, spend time at the beginning of John chapter 12, where, there's, uh, where Mary anoints Jesus. But that's a really important part of this, this biblical text. Um, so if you have time this week and you're reflecting on Jesus' journey to the cross, um, it really begins in John 12, uh, chapter 1, and I would, or in verse 1, John 12, verse 1. And I would really encourage you to even spend time in the last, uh, the last nine chapters of, of John's gospel, going from, um, going from chapter 12 all the way through. So much of John's gospel is contained within that last week of Jesus' Jesus' life, and it, it's really, um, really important that John highlights that, that for us. But we're going to be looking at John 12, 12 through 19, um, which, uh, which is the events uh, surrounding Jesus riding into Jerusalem. These events really sort of kick everything into high gear in this, in, in what we would call Holy Week. It just, it just kicks everything off. Um, People are upset, you know, people are getting angry, but we also have these people who are proclaiming Hosanna, who are crying out uh, for Jesus to save them in sort of this political way. So we're going to dive into this text. Let me read it for us this morning. John 12, 12 through 19. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him, because they heard that he performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. So uh, uh, several things going on this, in this text this morning that we want, we want to point out. But what we really want to focus on is, is preparing our hearts for Easter Sunday. We really want to prepare our hearts in the movement towards, uh, just as Jesus' journey to the cross sort of is inaugurated on this Sunday, um, what we want to do is prepare our hearts in movement towards Resurrection Sunday next week. 
Um, so sort of the big under or the big idea, the underlying thought that, that is contained within this text is this. This is kind of what we want to point heavy on the implication. We look at the portrait of Jesus' triumphal entry on this side of the resurrection, right? We're on this side of the resurrection. Jesus was uh, crucified, buried, and raised. Um, and this side of the resurrection, not necessarily our resurrection, but on this side of the resurrection of Jesus. Um, we look at the portrait of Jesus' triumph, triumphal entry as those whose pleas have turned into praise. My goodness. There, there's grace. Amazing grace. This time. Amazing grace. Okay, alright. So, let me, let me read that again. Let me read that again. We look at this portrait of Jesus' triumphal entry as those whose pleas have turned to praise. The plea is, Hosanna. The plea is, save us. But we, on this side of Resurrection Sunday, on this side of the resurrection of Jesus, praise him and say, salvation has come. Salvation is here. So, so let's consider a few things in this text together this morning. The people, the people in this text, we see them in verse 13. They took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So these people are shouting, Hosanna. They're shouting, save us, because they recognize that's what Jesus came to do, although their recognition and their understanding of what he came to do was a little bit off, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But what they're quoting here is Psalm 118, Verses 25 and 26. They're quoting that psalm, which is unique, and there's a really cool tie in here. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, save us, we pray, O Lord. This is Psalm 118, 25 and 26. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So save us is the cry, Hosanna. And that's what the people are saying. So, uh, but they, they, they recognize their need for salvation, they, but, but they were a people who didn't necessarily recognize what they needed saving from. And this is how our pleas for salvation turn to praise, because we, on this side of the resurrection, see what we needed salvation so the Jews, as they saw this, this crowd that had gathered for the feast, that showed up, and they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they're crying Hosanna because of a few different things. They no longer wanted to be occupied by Rome. They no longer wanted to be an occupied people. They had been occupied people for a very, very long time. And they did not any longer want to be an occupied people. They no longer wanted to be considered of this, this little faction, this group of, of religious weirdos that existed in this large context of, of an empire. They wanted to be reestablished as a people, as a very political um, entity and a military might in the way that they were uh, at the time of King David. Uh, they longed for a king like David who would show up and shatter all of those external, those outside ideals and those understandings. 
They, they wanted him to, uh, to, to overcome these obstacles so that they could be great. They wanted to be a nation that was great. And I find this event, like this, this whole passage here, 12 through 19 in chapter 12 of John's gospel, I find this so interesting because there's this brief journey that he takes into Jerusalem. There's this brief journey that he takes into Jerusalem, right? He, he, there's this donkey, the, 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 he, uh, John records this donkey's colt that Jesus sits on. He rides into Jerusalem and the people are praising him and saying, uh, and, and crying out salvation, uh, save us. They're crying out to him. But, but this mimics and mirrors almost for John and for the other authors of the gospel, this journey into Jerusalem mimics this, this journey out of Jerusalem, where Jesus is going to the cross. And they, the portraits look very, very different. They look very, very different, and yet there's a parallelism that the, the, that the, the authors of the gospels want us to see. They want us to see that, that Jesus going in and coming out were, uh, were, were intended to show us something very specific. One, the misconceptions of the people. The misconceptions that the people thought salvation was coming in this political way. Um, but then on the flip side, that second journey, that journey up out of Jerusalem to be crucified, he was demonstrating, the, the, the authors of the gospel are demonstrating that Jesus was going on that journey to overcome the actual enemy, which is sin and death. Um, consider then also the Lord's Supper. We, in, in Matthew's Gospel, in, in, in chapter 26, verse 30, we're, we're moving, part of our trajectory this morning is to the Lord's table. Um, and so we're moving in that direction in our minds. So if you think about Matthew 26, 30, a very, very simply Matthew states this. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That hymn is generally accepted to be Psalm 118. So we, we have this, we have a building upon this, this parallel understanding of these journeys, right? So when, when, when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, people are saying, Hosanna, they're, they're quoting Psalm 118. But right before the events that kick off Jesus' like journey to the cross, right? Right when he's leaving the upper room and going to the garden, um, it's where he will ultimately be betrayed and then tried and then carry his cross and then be crucified. Um, that is inaugurated with the very same psalm. Psalm 118 would have been uh, in the upper room, the psalm that they, they sang or the hymn that they sang, and then this is ramping up Jesus' journey to the cross. So two journeys, one into Jerusalem that was misunderstood triumph, or at least an inauguration of it, um, and then a prelude to the actual triumph. One journey into Jerusalem, and then one into the Mount of Olives, to a betrayal, to a trial, the carrying of the cross, the crucifixion, to the grave, ultimately to resurrection, and the defeat of sin and death. So the people thought that Jesus, as we see it in John chapter 12, 12 through 19, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a young donkey was their salvation, but their salvation actually was coming through the work of Christ on the cross, which was coming next weekend. Okay, who's watching March Madness? 
Cool. Okay. All right. So we don't have. So so, so this this illustration is probably going to fall dead then. So um, <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go for it anyways. Um, I I love March Madness, so I'm I'm just going to run with it. Um, I think it's just a great sporting event. So, so this year, Kansas is the number one overall seed, right? And it, because you didn't raise your hands, you probably didn't know that. But Kansas is the number one, the number one overall seed, um, and uh, and and they're favored. Um, and my bracket is totally busted because I didn't have them as the favorite. But whatever. Um, wouldn't it be weird? Okay, so so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about March Madness because that's going on this week. Wouldn't it be weird if if the Kansas fans showed up for the game? They showed up for their first round game, or say the next game that they play. They show up for the next game that they play, and and they're they're all cheering, they're going nuts, and then the the, the University of Kansas, the, the debate team runs out of the, the tunnel. <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't that be bizarre? Wouldn't that wouldn't that be bizarre? And then and then the people are thinking thinking of like there's a fundamental misunderstanding here. What did, what did the debate team come to do? Why are they reading note cards? And like, why are they why, why are they saying something? I don't I don't know. Like, and, and so there's this fun there would be this fundamental misunderstanding of the intent of what the, they, they came to do, and this is kind of what's happening in this text. Even we thought the the debate team came to play basketball, but they were actually here to debate an energy policy. Okay, all right. So we have so we have two journeys here. We have two journeys here, right? We have we have one per, one of perceived triumph, being the number one overall seed. Kansas has perceived triumph, right? They're they're perceived to when when they when they came into the tournament as the favorite, there was perceived triumph, and that triumph was coming for them. But if the debate team runs out, that triumph is is immediately uh, sort of dashed on the rocks of reality. So Jesus, these two journeys, one of perceived triumph, and then one ultimately of realized triumph. Coming into, coming into Jerusalem, and then going up out of Jerusalem. So John gives us this insight into the minds of the disciples in this text here, right? In verse 16, These things his disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things to him. I think this is such a unique statement that John makes for us. Because, because what they're saying, and I think this mimics and mirrors the Christian life to a certain extent, where we read a passage of the scripture, we spend time in God's word, and, and then the, the Holy Spirit brings something to us afresh. It's like, how many times have you read a passage and spent a significant amount of time in it, and then thought to yourself, oh, there's something here that I've never seen before. And this is, this is, this is what John is communicating to us. And remember, John is writing this gospel, I've said this multiple times as we've been looking at John's gospel, um, that, that John writes this late in his life, so he's had a lot of time to reflect. And I can only imagine that when, he's, when he sits down to write this gospel, he thinks, man, we were dumb. Like, man, we were so stupid. We didn't see this. <clears throat> and so you get these unique little glimpses into the mind of, of, of John. These things his disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that he had done these things, or that they had done these things to him. And this is, this then gives us the transition, right? This gives us the transition, this verse 16, from please, from the cry, save us, to praise. 
Salvation has come to us. Here's a quote for you. Um, this is from John Piper um, in a sermon he preached um, on a Palm Sunday. He writes this. Hosanna used to mean, save please, but gradually it came to mean, salvation, salvation, salvation has come. It used to be what you would say when you fell off the diving board. But it came to be what you would say when you see the lifeguard coming to save you. It is the bubbling over of a heart that sees hope and joy and salvation on the way and can't keep it in. That's what this is. This is a recognition and an understanding. So us, on this side of the resurrection, on this side of the understanding that sin and death have been defeated, this is us together as a community, as a local church, crying, Hosanna. Salvation has come. So as a people, when we come to Palm Sunday, we recognize that there is nothing else that needs to be accomplished for us. It's been accomplished totally, completely. There is nothing else. The sacrifice that Christ made was totally sufficient for us. Totally sufficient. We now, in Christ, have access to God the Father. We are partakers together of an inheritance. In the inheritance of eternal life. We see that Jesus rode into Jerusalem as a, as a foreshadowing of the coming triumph. The coming triumph that was coming in, in one week. Where the actual triumph looks a lot, a lot, a lot different. Jesus has accomplished all. Jesus has accomplished all things. And is the perfect, God's perfect provision for us. And so we praise Him. We say, Hosanna. Let's consider, like, let's consider then implications like directly into our lives. And this is just a few. And, and it, as you think about this, as you think about Jesus' journey to the cross this week, consider the fact that, that these implications are very, very rich and real, and that there are many more here that we could dive into this morning. But I think sometimes we desire deliverance from things in our life that aren't sin. Like Jesus came to deliver us from sin and death. And I think sometimes we, we think to ourselves, okay, but, but there's this and this and this in my world that I need to be delivered from immediately. Consider the fact that, that this is what we've been talking about. This is what we're talking about when we talk about Jesus is the good shepherd and Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That sometimes God allows these difficulties in our world to providentially persist in order to protect us from sin, in order to preserve us. So I mean, the, this just goes on and on in, in our world. It's like we just we want to see something change in our world as these difficulties that go on in our lives. But God is using these things to refine us, to make us more like Jesus. Just like the, the people who wanted deliverance from Roman rule, we cry out for deliverance, maybe from the incorrect things. They wanted deliverance from this occupation, from this ruling, from, from being considered a nothing religious group in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in the midst of a, a major empire. 
We want to we want to preserve our political freedom. Freedom. We want to eliminate our suffering. We want to we want to uh, pursue comfort. But those are not the things that Jesus has promised for us. Jesus has promised to to remove to, to he's defeated sin and death in order that we might have access to God the Father. In order that that broken relationship with Him might be restored. It is the sin and death that came into the world when Adam sinned that we need to be delivered from. And Christ, as the second Adam, has made that possible. And so, our response is to shout, Hosanna. It's to shout, salvation has come. Consider also the exaltation and the humiliation of Jesus, right? Consider this. So when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the people appear to be exalting him. They appear to be exalting him and lifting him up and praising him. Jesus was exalted as this socio-political hero in the triumphal entry, but the journey to the cross is the exact opposite. So we have this it's almost like if your favorite baseball team wins the World Series. Sorry for the second sports metaphor. It's like if your favorite baseball team wins the World Series and then they have like a ticker tape parade for them. And people are like, yeah, go favorite baseball team. But that's not what exaltation is according to Scripture. So the people are waving these palm branches and, like, and, and crying Hosanna. That's not what exaltation looks like. The journey to the cross is the exact opposite of this, this outward display. The, the journey to the cross is the, the epitome of humiliation. It's the epitome of rejection. It's the epitome of devastation. And not just by the people, but by God who subjected him to it so that he would pay the price for us. Consider what Paul writes in, in Philippians 2, 8-11. Being found in the appearance as a man, this is Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The cross is a symbol of shame. In our society, we've made it something other than that. We've said this is a, a symbol of power, or a symbol, but the cross is a symbol of shame in, 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 in the Bible. It is the bloodiest, most gruesome way that 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 corporal or uh, that that uh, punishment and 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 like a death sentence could bring. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the, at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, of those who are in heaven and, and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what exaltation looks like. But the humiliation of Christ came first. We also are partakers and participants together in that exaltation. But we, even as Paul talks about in this Philippians passage, are also called in this life to participate 
in the humiliation. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and to follow him. That's, that's a humble, a humble calling. Think about how this plays out in our community. Together, together as a church, right? Together as a church community, as Buffalo City Church, we cry together, Hosanna. Not as those who, who are looking for salvation, uh, but as those who have found salvation. We are not saying, save us. We are saying, salvation has come. And it's come by, in the person of Jesus Christ. And because we have trusted Christ, we have found our identity in Him. So we must encourage one another. We must spend time with, with those who are part of this community and proclaiming to them, salvation has come. We have to point people to the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, I, was, I just sort of had some, some things going on in my own heart this week, and, and a friend sent me a text. Um, I just, I told him a little bit about it, what was going on in my, my own mind and heart. And he sent me this text. He said, just let me encourage you that your value and your worth right now is not in this, but in Christ and the worth and value that's been secured for you as a child of the Most High God. I will pray and support, or I will pray and any support I can be through this, I'm willing to walk with you and prayer and encouragement. It's just a, just a friend who's like, I, I just, I had, I was talking to him and I just opened up about some of these difficulties and he sent me this text. This is him saying to me, Hosanna, salvation has come. This is him coming to me and saying, I'm here to support you as one who has found an identity in Jesus, as one who has found the identity, as one who knows that salvation has come. And then we rest together in that understanding. So together in community, then let's encourage each other in these kinds of ways. Ask yourself this question, this, this thought. Who can I encourage? I think we take, I think we take that, that idea and we blow it way too far out. It's like, man, I don't, I don't even know how to do that. Like, what if it's just a text message? What if it's just a quick phone call? You say, hey, hey, man, I'm praying for you, or uh, I'm praying for you, you know, like, what, what's going on in your world? Just asking questions, being a good listener, proclaiming to one another, Hosanna, salvation has come. We're community, as we meet together, we, we're an integral part of how God is providentially preserving us in our, in our world. Like, God is providentially preserving us through the relationships that we have and that we cultivate in our, in our, in our church context. Like that is what God is doing together in our community. So, let, let's move our hearts now to, to consider the Lord's Supper. And even as we talked about it a little bit, we saw that Psalm 118, the people were proclaiming, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then knowing then that, that that hymn, that very same thing would have been sung in the upper room where Jesus broke the bread and they took the cup together and we said, this is the new covenant in my This blood is the new covenant. And there's an inauguration there. We have proclaimed together those 
who come together as a, in the corporate worship setting. That salvation has come to us. And that's what we're doing here this morning. We're proclaiming as we go to the table, as we, as we uh, take of the elements, partake of the elements together. We're proclaiming the Lord's death, even as Paul says, the Lord's death until he comes again. We're proclaiming that Jesus has triumphed over sin and death. And we're proclaiming that we together are satisfied for all Jesus is for us. For all that God is for us in Jesus. So just where do you sit quietly? Just take, just take a moment and consider a few things here. Just consider a few things with me. Just, just ask God. Just, just consider this. What are things this week? Maybe the previous week that you've sought to find satisfaction in, but have left you empty. the fact that we might be um, spending a lot of time considering certain things and events and, and people or whatever it might be in our lives that we're crying out Hosanna to, that we're saying save us, but have no power to save. Ask God that he would stir your affections for him as one who, is, who has come and changed the, our understanding of Hosanna from save us to salvation has come. Ask God to stir your affections for that, for Jesus and that understanding. Consider the triumph in the broken body of Jesus, which results in righteousness for us. Think about the fact that Jesus lived a life of sinlessness. Consider the fact when God looks at us because of Christ's sacrifice, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus, because of that, we can stand justified before a holy God. Finally, as we move to the table now, consider the triumph and the shed blood for the remission of our sins. Scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Consider the fact that the blood of Jesus is what, uh, what washes us clean from our sin. As we move to the table now, 
Think about the things. that might be preventing you from being satisfied in Jesus. Just a couple of thoughts, too, by way of instruction this morning. Um, we'd ask that you'd come up and, and grab the elements from the table. You can partake of them at the table or take them back to your seat and participate there. Feel free when your heart is ready to participate in those. We believe that the Lord's Supper is for those who have professed Christ. If you're not sure where you stand on that, I would encourage you to, to not participate together in this ordinance. No one's judging you. No one's looking at you. If you have if you're not sure where you stand on an issue, I'd love to, to talk with you. Mark would be available to talk to you as well. Find someone who you came with or just ask anyone. As parents as well, we would ask that you would exercise discernment for your children. We believe that parents are the primary disciple makers in their home. so you can make the determination if your child is ready to participate together in the Lord's Supper. So we're going to move into a time of, of musical worship. Um, and just as you feel the Spirit leading, come up and grab the bread, grab the cup. And when you're prepared in your heart, participate together with us in the taking of the elements. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that we can come to a table, God, that we can, we, there's this outward expression that we have and the recognition of what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, as those who, who see the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus that has made a way for us, God, we cry, Hosanna. Salvation has come. It's come in the person of Jesus. We praise you that on the last day we will be raised with Christ. We will participate together with him in that. And along with him, we will rule and reign. We will spend eternity exalting God. Thank you for broken relationship that has been restored in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray.